Hi, welcome to PCI Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White. Happy to have you with us today and happy to have a full crew here with us today as well. Hi, Bob. Hey, Brad. Philip. Hi, Brad. Ryan. Hello, Brad. And we have Dr. Laurentia Van Rinsberg, who is the Technical Mineral Manager at Alltech, and Alltech's help sponsoring this episode. Hi, Laurentia. Hi, thank you guys for having me today. So we're happy to have her on because we're going to talk minerals, and that's a question that comes up relatively frequently is what form of minerals should I supply? How should I supply that? We're also going to talk a little bit about, we talked about anaplasmosis last week, Brian, and we suggested antibiotics as a mechanism for control in some of those cases, but we have to think about how to get those to the cattle. So whether it's through the mineral or the feed or how that's going to occur. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And then we'll wrap back around and Bob's got some thoughts on fetal programming. What is it? And what does it mean? And how does it tie into our mineral supplementations? Before we get into that, I've got to ask you guys a question relative to, and I know he like food-based questions. Brian especially likes these because he told me right before we got on the air that I have a very refined palate, which I appreciate. <laughs> I don't think that's what he said. That was not. <laughs> it was implied. So uh, this question is about pizza. So I'm going to ask you, now it's a pretty typical question, what's your favorite pizza toppings? But I'm going to throw out, you cannot pick Hamburger, sausage, pepperoni. So what's your favorite so, pizza toppings after you can't have those? So basically, we can't pick meat and we have to pick vegetable toppings. You can pick other meats if you want. Two, two favorite pizza toppings. Brian? I'm going to cheat because there is a restaurant in Bob's hometown that has really good pizza. And they have a pepperoni and cream cheese pizza. Mm-hmm. And it is fantastic. And you don't right. typically think of cream you cheese. You don't think of cream cheese. So I, I I know you said no meat, no traditional meat. So I mean, the cream cheese is makes it delicious. It's awesome. What makes it non-traditional, Bob? I'm going to go with you know, kind of the, the Hawaiian, the ham and pineapple thing. I like that. That is that is good. You know, he's, he's shaking his head because he doesn't agree. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's I good. don't agree. No. I, well, I will agree with Bob that I like the Hawaiian, but also barbecue chicken. Yeah, it's yeah, a little different. Laurentia? Bacon. Bacon. Uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Laurentia wins. Yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even know I was keeping score until she answered. <laughs> it turns out I was. So so let's talk, let's talk minerals. And Laurentia, I want you to to kind of weigh in on this as we think about in broad terms for many of our cow-calf herds mineral supplementation is going to certainly vary by country but it also varies by what and how we give it what form we give to minerals so maybe just give us in, a, in an overview what are some of the big macro minerals and micro minerals that we should think about in grazing livestock? You know, that's a really good question. And as you mentioned, trace minerals is, is really my area of expertise. And as we know, forages vary quite a bit in trace mineral concentrations, especially copper, zinc, manganese, and selenium. So I think the most important question or answer probably is why do we supplement? We supplement because forages are traditionally low in these essential nutrients. And then basically form is going to have a big way or big effect on how these trace minerals are absorbed. So that's where inorganic versus organic comes into play. Yeah, a couple of things that I think are important when you form the question as in uh, grazing livestock or forage-based livestock. And so that's one of the reasons why cattle are a little bit different than say, let's compare them to pigs. First of all, first of all, pigs are a, a monogastric, a simple stomach animal versus ruminants. So that's a different. The other thing is, although, yeah, the nutrition or the trace mineral nutrition and macro mineral nutrition is coming from the feed in a, in a swine diet that's delivered daily, hand-fed, you know, by, by people, and they can balance the ration. When you're talking about grazing livestock, so cattle, sheep, and goats as well, they're getting a majority of their nutrition from the forage. And as Laurentia said, that, that even varies 
on the same piece of ground over time, depending on the maturity of the grass. You know, so green growing grass has different levels of both macro and trace minerals than dormant forage. And so, and then of course, a lactating cow has much higher demand for these minerals mm-hmm. than a non-lactating cow. So there's a lot of moving parts when we talk about mineral nutrition, particularly when we're relying on grazed forages or or hay, either one, to supply that because of the variability that we have. Well, and that variability is, you mentioned time, but different forage species have different mineral concentrations. And if you've got legumes mixed in with your grass, that, that adds some additional mineral. Usually legumes are a little bit higher concentration of those trace minerals. And then we have a lot of variation across the country. The soil mm-hmm. types and, and the ability of the plants to take up those minerals from the soil and just the concentration of the mineral in the soil, it can make a lot of variability in the mineral concentration of the forage on your ranch. So Lorenzo, I want to go back and pick up on something that you mentioned earlier. And you said inorganic versus organic minerals. What Explain to me what that means and what are some of the differences? If you're a beef producer and you look at your trace mineral tag and you see copper, zinc, um, or oxides, these are typically the inorganic form of trace minerals. These are typically byproducts from other industries. So the animal is not quite as well adapted to utilize them as well. So if we talk about organic trace minerals, in all reality, it just means that the mineral is bound to a organic molecule, right? So it's just much more representative of the way the animal would find it in nature. And that's why we typically see better performance when we supplement our animals with the organic form of trace mineral. It's much more representative of the way that zinc or copper or manganese would be in the plant structure. Excellent. So one of the things that I'm hearing is it differs by area. So I want to ask you guys, so if I'm a cow-calf producer, can, can I just go get a regular mineral and feed it year round? Do I need to change year to year? And if I think I might need something more specific for my area, how do I know? That's a really good question. And one way answer I could answer it is it's possible that a based on your soil types and your grasses that a pretty standard off-the-shelf mineral may meet your needs but it's also mm-hmm. very likely that it may not because some of the things you talked about so and it's you know we probably have some people that have more agronomy experience as listeners but you know soil ph indicates you know what other minerals are taken up by the plant there, there's just so many factors that are involved mm-hmm that good trace mineral nutrition is pretty local. In other words, I rely a lot on the local expertise of the local nutritionists and veterinarians in that area because of, because we haven't used the word antagonist yet, but Mm -hmm. for instance, if you're in an area with high uh, soil molybdenum, that's going to be a a major antagonist for copper. And if you live Mm -hmm. in an area where that's not really, is not high in the soil, then that makes a very different mineral package that you need. So back to your original question is, a mineral package that's appropriate for central Indiana, appropriate for western Nebraska? And the answer is probably not. And so that there's mm-hmm. a much more, in fact, it may be different from just a few miles away, depending on you know how much the soil type changes over space. And so I like my mineral nutrition conversations to be very local. So I'm going to warn that this is a podcast that goes out you know to the whole country. And so again, mineral nutrition is something that's very locally determined. Well, why don't I just put out more? 
Why don't I just, if, if a little <laughs> is good, wouldn't a lot be better? Or are there if, any problems with that? I would love to jump in on this one because I think if we look at the cow's requirement, the goal need to be to supplement as close to that requirement and match it up with your local forages, right? We really need to be careful. In a lot of instances, I think we are over supplementing and that really causes a lot of antagonistic effect, uh, mineral to mineral antagonism, but also these high levels of inorganic trace minerals can potentially have a negative impact on your vitamins. So we have to guard against over supplementation just as much as we need to prevent under supplementation. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. You know, we always talk about making sure that you've got mineral out there in front of those cows all year round mm -hmm. and worried about whether they're eating enough or not. But having too much, you know, they're we can have some negative impacts on performance as well. And so that's something we don't talk about very much. And most of the time we're looking at that mineral supplement as an insurance policy because I'm not testing my forage for minerals. I rarely am I testing it even for protein and fiber. And so I'm not, I don't know really what my area is like. And so I just, I put it out there as an insurance package. Well, and I don't think anybody answered the second part of your question is, can you test for it? Well, maybe Philip did. He said most people don't, right? And I think the one thing that people should be aware of is with minerals, unless you get to the far extremes of way, way deficient or way, way excessive, you aren't going to see obvious health. Like you can't walk into a herd and go, well, this is a herd that's copper deficient because we see this, this, and this, right? It's much more insidious. And so I think you know, what we've said is, you know, kind of use the local expertise to know what you might be deficient in, but don't expect to go out to your herd and say, well, I need to do this because I'm seeing these kind of signs in my herd. You won't see that. What you'll see is, well, what you won't see is lost performance. Yes. I think that's an excellent point. With most, most areas, we're not seeing severe trace mineral deficiencies because most people are actually putting something out there. But I think sometimes when we talk about uh, mineral supplementation, do we need to say, okay, let's move away from just preventing deficiencies and provide for optimum performance? I think that's really the next step when it comes to some of these supplementation programs. Yeah, absolutely. And we talked about, Bob, you mentioned, and we talked about a little bit the antagonism between two, or rather when you add something and it makes both of them perform worse, or how would you define that mm -hmm. antagonism? Yeah. And, and, so there are a number of things that can antagonize or make the body, the animal's body, less likely to utilize the, the mineral. Sometimes it's other minerals. So iron is an antagonist for copper, and molybdenum is an antagonist for copper. And But then there's other things, too. So it might be really high protein or something like that. So there's a number of things in the diet that can cause antagonisms. So it comes back to maybe of doing the hard work of trying to optimize, kind of what uh, Laurentius mm -hmm. said. Is, is to try to optimize and not just assume that more is better. And so, and, and again, that's going to be involved with my local soil, my local water, because water also supplies mineral to the diet. And so really knowing a local area and then optimizing and being a little bit careful not to just throw more because more isn't necessarily better. Yeah, and, it's, and it's beyond just the cost of the minerals. So yeah. I think good, good discussion there and trying to optimize in your area. And I learned about antagonism both from that and from Brian antagonizing my dietary choices before the program. So Brian, we'll come back to you. And I, I want to talk a little bit about, so last week we talked anaplasmosis and we said anaplasmosis. And if you want to learn more about that, go 
was on last week's episode, we dove in a little bit on how to deal with that. But one of the options we came up with was you may end up having an antibiotic that you use to feed to control within that herd. (laughs) And we didn't really have time to dig into the details. And we had some follow-up questions, thoughts relative to how do I actually do that and make sure that it works? Because this ties right into our mineral discussion. Sometimes they're in the minerals. Yeah. So So one of the options, so we mentioned last week, uh, for for anaplasmosis, one of the, the drug classes we use to control that infection is is the tetracycline, specifically chlortetracycline. And so there are some, again, tying into this week, there are some medicated mineral products that contain chlortetracycline in them. I think maybe just a couple pertinent points for our listeners now, and I, everybody's familiar, I think, with the VFD, but the Veterinary Feed Directive, uh, we're a few years into that now. And so in any medically important antimicrobial that is administered through the feed has to have a veterinary feed directive authorizing it. And chlorotetracyclines are human medically important. So to have that in a mineral to to feed your cows, you have to have a valid VFD to do that. So when you talk about having the VFD, does that just dictate kind of the formulation or does it dictate the amount? Or if if I get a VFT for chlorotetracycline, can I put it in my mineral or my feed or go back and forth? So so to answer your question, so the VFD is specific to the drug and the amount and all, all of those things. And minerals are actually kind of a unique situation because when the FDA approves a mineral formulation, they don't just approve the drug. They approve the whole formulation of that mineral package because what's in there actually determines how much animals will consume and consumption is really really important for drug levels which is what makes that product effective because the concentration in the mineral is set for a certain intake well the concentration of the drug in the mineral but the other components of the mineral also affect how much the animals will consume and so what we're trying to do is make sure that it's in the drug is in an amount that we think will be an effective, be effective, but also the other components are in an amount where we think the animals will consume enough to basically control, if we're talking about anaplasmosis, control that infection. And that's really one of the big problems with, yes, it is a commonly used tool to have a medicated mineral package out there, free choice. But the reality is we're probably going to get a lot more variability in day-to-day intake and animal-to-animal intake than we would if it was in a daily hand fed. So a daily hand fed would be that I get the cows in or, or bring feed to them every day that has a VFD amount of chlorotetracycline in it, and I, but I only give out one day's amount and the cows consume it. My intake day to day is much more consistent and between cows tends to be more consistent that way. It's one of the problems that we're finding when we really look closely at how much mineral cows are eating each day, my intention may be that they eat four ounces a day. The reality is they may eat zero, two, zero, seven, you know, and so over a week's time, maybe they average four ounces a day. And from most of our mineral standpoints, that's okay because the body has the ability to store minerals for a bit of time. So not having absolutely constant mineral intake is okay from my mineral nutrition standpoint, but I'm looking at a pharmacologist over here. Is that okay from my tetracycline standpoint? No, absolutely not. Right. And so we want, they need to, 
we need to make sure we're maintaining blood levels of those drugs at a concentration that's high enough to suppress the bacterial, or in this case, the parasite infection. So to have that really inconsistent intake and really inconsistent drug levels is probably is not okay from an F effectiveness standpoint either. Before I, I want to answer the other part of Brad's question earlier, is it okay to just take chlortetracycline and add it to your normal mineral packet? The answer is no, you can't do that. The FDA says basically you made a new drug when you do that, a not an unapproved new drug. So no, you can't do that. If you're doing free choice medicated minerals, there are a few formulations that are approved for that. You have to use those formulations. And I, and I think you've explained well the reasons why. It's not just because or it's not just a company's stance on this. It's through how we manage those drugs and to make sure that we're getting the right drug level. So if you're using those to control anaplasmosis, you're using them in your minerals, be sure that you get a VFD and you're using the right products in the right ways to go forward. I, I want to follow up. We talked to anaplasmosis, but I want to shift to a, a different gear and think a little bit about fetal programming, which has come up before in meetings. And, and people have talked about what are the impact of diet on those calves and and really how does it tie into fetal programming so this is not my area brad so i'm just going to throw out the first question for those of us that aren't so what is fetal programming what does that mean well i'll take it from a veterinary reproduction standpoint is this is a concept that's been around for a few years now but it's basically that things that happen while the the calf is still in the in the cow so still a fetus actually impacts not only later productivity, and I'm, I'm going to look at it from the reproduction standpoint, is even, so if I, if this is a female fetus, and it's going to be born in a few months, and then I keep that female and breed her, you know, calf two years later, some of the things that happen during pregnancy, when that calf was a fetus, actually impacts fertility and productivity and health mm-hmm. months and months later. That's kind of a relatively new concept, and so that's where this fetal programming, the things that are going to actually not be seen for another couple of years are impacted by things that happen during pregnancy. And in a way that makes sense because we're building a brand new body. We're building a brand new cow from scratch. And during that building process, we have some long-term impacts. And Laurentia, you said the minerals play a role in that process? Absolutely. And it's just fascinating because I think we also have to look at the implications, right? A lot of our producers retain their own heifers. So if you know through maternal nutrition of that cow, you can actually impact the future reproductive efficiency of that calf. Isn't that just fascinating and something as a producer you would like to do? So what we've seen from the organic trace mineral standpoint is maternal nutrition and maternal trace mineral nutrition can have a significant impact. We've seen that heifer calves from cows that were um, subjected to, for example, organic trace minerals, the proteinated form, we've seen that it can actually have an impact on how early that heifer reached puberty and also how early she calves in comparison to females from um, mothers who were not subjected to, say, for example, an organic program. And we have to put that into practical implications. Every time you can get a cow and or a heifer to get bred earlier on, her calf is going to weigh heavier. So I think for our producers, that's a huge potential impact on profitability, but also for those of us that retain our own heifers. Very interesting. It's kind of an exciting thing to think about in that whatever we do during gestation could affect the reproduction of that heifer 
24, 36, 48 months down the road. Yes, yeah, very much. And and more than just trace minerals, there's protein is another uh, very important pa- factor in making sure that that cow has enough protein to supply the amino acids to the fetus. That, that fetus needs, particularly methionine is one that is very important, but those amino acids levels need to be high enough to maintain that fetal development. There, There is some work that shows like nutrient restriction during different phases of gestation can have a tremendous impact on muscle fiber formation, for example, which is going to have a direct impact on birth weights, weaning weights, and even carcass weights. So very, very interesting area. Yeah, and it even shifts the distribution between lean and fat. And so it changes ribeye area and marbling scores in those animals as well. I think one of the ways we think about this is I'm, I'm the old guy in the group and we often talk about, you know, that dry cow that's not lactating, that's early and, you know, the, the fetus is early, her actual, that cow's nutrient requirements are pretty low. And that's good because a lot of times they're on a dormant forage and the, the forage that we're providing them is fairly low. And for a long time, that was a good answer that that cow doesn't need much nutrition and she's not being supplied much nutrition. But when we started looking at the, the calf, the, the, the fetus that's inside her, well, that animal is actually building new tissue really fast mm-hmm. at a time when forage may not be very good. Which So the answer is, so what do I do as a producer? We look at our, we, we consider good supplementation of dry, dormant forage as being important year-round, not, not just part of the year when we're getting close to mm-hmm. calving or lactation, but actually year-round. It makes basic supplementation and nutrition important every day of the year. Absolutely. Well, and I think just thinking about this year and the drought that we've had in lots of parts of the country, the nutrition of those cows here through the, the second, I'll say their first and second trimester here with, on trying to scrape along on that pasture as much as possible. You know, what, what kind of impact are we having? I can't give you a direct answer, but I would suspect that we're having some kind of impact on the development of that fetus that's going to be a long-term impact on those calves. I think, Go ahead. sorry, I just want to jump in here um, with something I think we sometimes overlook, and that is a lot of the reproductive organs form very early on in gestation. So if, if you short the cows, especially during a hard year, then that heifer is basically going to be behind almost for the rest of her life, if you think about it in reproductive efficiency terms. So. Absolutely. So great discussion there and pretty amazing that that impacts all the way through, especially when we're talking about minerals, protein, the the entire nutritional package. I like what you guys said about for planning your minerals, optimize, don't try to maximize or minimize as you put those out there. And Brian, good comments on VFD. I do want to bring us back to antibiotics for a minute because next week is World Antibiotic Week. Yep. So it's uh, actually starts November 18th and it's really just you know, it's just kind of a raise awareness and remind everybody that antibiotics are a limited resource and we need to be careful how we use them. Yeah, I think it's really important to think of them that way in that the antibiotics are a resource and we want to use them appropriately so that we have them available as long as possible. Thanks, Laurentia. Appreciate you joining us today and appreciate you guys joining us as well. And thanks again to Alltech for sponsoring part of this episode. If you have any questions, comments, anything you'd like us to talk about on a future episode, you can email us at bci at ksu.edu.